0: Me to the book of James, chapter three, we'll be looking at verses seventeen and eighteen. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word and the opportunity to open it up together. We ask that you would bless us with understanding and wisdom as we we hear your word, that you would apply it to each and every one of our hearts with your spirit. And help us, Lord, to not be hearers only, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this evening we will continue our journey through the end of James chapter 3 here where James is contrasting what we can call man's wisdom with what we can call godly wisdom or heavenly wisdom, wisdom versus demonic wisdom. And I want to do a brief review because it's been a few weeks since we have been in James and we stopped in the middle of this section So it appears that in this section, James is addressing an issue, professing Christians claiming to be wise, but their lives are inconsistent with their profession. And so he gives us a contrast between these two types of wisdom. In our culture today, and in the Greek culture, one could claim to be wise because Wisdom was simply intellectual. So you could claim to be wise and live an immoral life and there was no contradiction. But what James is saying along with the, the Hebrew line of understanding of wisdom is that wisdom is essentially righteousness. That the, the person who is wise understands how to apply God's word to every area of his life. So, so essentially wisdom equals Godliness. MacArthur points out that the, um, the, the, the Hebrew understanding here is not intellectual, but is behavioral. To the Jews, wisdom was skill in living righteously. So when we hear of a, of a person who says that they are wise, but they live an immoral life, according to the, the biblical understanding of, of wisdom, they are not wise. Or this is what we can call man's wisdom, or what James calls demonic wisdom, which is not a wisdom at all. So James starts off in verse 13, and we'll review a little bit here, with a rhetorical question. Who is wise and understanding among you? He's asking his question because there are professing Christians claiming to have wisdom. Wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. James is saying whoever claims to be wise, let him prove it through good works and meekness the person who is truly wise, which means godly essentially, will show it in his attitude and his actions. In meekness and in good works. And so we can examine our hearts and say, what does our hearts reveal? Does, does it reveal wisdom? We, we claim to be wise because we have intellectual knowledge, but, but does that lead to meekness? And good works, does it lead to a proper attitude and proper works? And then James tells us several things about about man's wisdom. First, he tells us what motivates or or drives it. It is driven, he says, by bitter jealousy and self-seeking. Verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. He says, examine your heart. Are you motivated by bitter jealousy? Are you motivated by by selfishness, by, by self seeking? If this is the case, do not boast about being wise and do not lie against the truth. In other words, the gospel transforms our hearts. So so that you are lying against the gospel if you are motivated and driven by self-seeking and bitter jealousy but claiming that the gospel has changed you. And James tells us this type of wisdom does not descend from above. In other words, it does not come from God. And then he tells us three things about this wisdom that does not come from God. First, he says it is earthly. And and this refers to the extent of man's wisdom. It does not extend beyond this place and time. In other words, it has no eternal value. He calls it sensual. And this could be better translated maybe as as natural. This is the word Paul uses when he says the the natural man does not understand the things of God. God. So so this this wisdom of man is fallen in nature. It is not a spiritual wisdom. And then he tells us the source of this wisdom. He says it is demonic. It comes from Satan and his demons. We see something similar in, 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 in Paul. He says the Spirit expressly says that in Latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and and doctrines of demons. Do we consider man's wisdom? Do we consider philosophies outside of of Christianity to be demonic? This is what Paul says, and this is what James says. And as we noted last time, this should cause us to see there is no such thing as neutrality. It either comes from above or it is demonic. And again, we, we, we said last time what, what are the implications of this sort of thing? What, what do we consume? The, the books that we read, the things that we watch. How do we educate our children? Wisdom either comes from God or it is demonic, satanic in origin. Dear friends, when we understand this, we should not be surprised by what we see being taught in, in institutions and schools and universities that has rejected God. The, the, the wisdom that they are proposing is demonic in origin. So, so this is why we see all of the, the confusion and, and evil that we see coming from this. But, but James is going to get to that in a moment. He, he tells us what is the fruit? What does this Demonic wisdom produce. Verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Where demonic wisdom reigns, it leads to confusion, disorder, and every kind and type of sin. Dear friends, the confusion, the chaos, the disorder, the abundance of wickedness and evil that we see in our culture today is a direct result of demonic wisdom. This is the fruit it produces. When you reject God, you are embracing demonic wisdom, and this is the fruit. It will only lead to confusion, and it will only lead to evil, nothing else. And this is where we left off last time. But James moves on to describe for us the opposite of demonic wisdom, which is the the wisdom that comes from above. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Again, dear friends, this is a test of our hearts. We can see the, what, what drives this, this demonic wisdom that is not from above. And now we're going to see what, what drives and what is the fruit of, of wisdom that comes from God. And we can ask ourselves, what kind of fruit do we produce? What, what characterizes our lives and our hearts? And as we go through this, we can also note the similarities between James' teaching and the teaching of Christ. Many of these things that James points out reflect the Beatitudes perfectly. So he says that first, God is pure. And the word pure has to do with moral blamelessness. MacArthur notes that that it refers to spiritual integrity and moral sincerity. So James is talking about the motivation behind godly wisdom. The the man or woman who has godly wisdom is is not motivated by self-seeking and bitter jealousy. Their motivation is pure. It is sincere. We see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And now what does this mean? Wisdom look like? What are the the characteristics of godly wisdom that is motivated by sincerity and a pure heart? James says, first pure, then peaceable. And this could also be translated as peace-loving. John Gill says this about wisdom from God. It inclines and engages those who have it to live in peace with the saints. Even with all men, with those of their own household, with their neighbors, yea, with their enemies. Christ said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. Dear friends, do we desire peace? Or do we thrive on contention? Are we peace-loving? MacArthur notes that the truly wise don't perpetuate conflict by their selfishness, but produce peace by their humility. Again, we see the contrast here. Demonic wisdom is not characterized by people being peace-loving, but godly wisdom is. We can look at organizations like BLM, for example, who burn down neighborhoods. Is that a peace-loving thing? Absolutely not. This is driven by, by demonic philosophy. This is demonic wisdom. But, but James says godly wisdom is not characterized by, by this love for violence and, and hatred. It's, it's actually characterized by being peace-loving. We should also note here that, that purity comes before peace. And why is this important? Sometimes we cannot re- remain pure and keep peace at the same time. Sometimes remaining pure actually requires breaking peace. We don't want to confront sin because it's going to disturb the peace. We don't want to address this issue because it's going to cause a lot of conflict and there won't be peace. Peace is not the end goal. There's a difference between making peace an idol and being a peace-loving person. First pure, then peaceable. And then he notes gentle. This word is a little bit difficult to to translate. I I like the way MacArthur translates He, He says a It's a a sweet reasonableness. And he notes that a gentle person is is humbly patient, submits to dishonor and abuse, mistreatment and persecution, knowing that blessed are the gentle or meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this is not to say that that we should like being mistreated. We, We don't like persecution and injustice, and we should desire to have Justice promoted and and administered, but, but even in that, we are to remain gentle. Paul used his Roman citizenship to escape injustice. He didn't embrace it because he was gentle. In Acts 22, we read that they bound him, and Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Paul's not saying, I'm so holy and I'm so meek, I'm not going to try to get out of this. He says, no, what you're doing is not lawful. But he doesn't act like a madman, does he? And he's not vengeful. And he's not seeking revenge on these people. He's actually willing to die for Christ. We read in Acts 21, when Paul was going to, to go and, and, and be persecuted. It was prophesied. The people are trying to, to stop him. They're weeping, telling him, Paul, don't go. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. This takes meekness, gentleness. He was willing to be mistreated and unjustly put to death For Christ's sake. So while facing injustice and persecution, he did not act again like a madman. He didn't act like a lunatic. He wasn't kicking and screaming. He was gentle. But we also need to understand here that this does not mean being weak. Dan Doriani points out that a gentle person need not be feminine. A gentle man can be bold and tough, thus we should be gentle even when we boldly set wrongs right. Paul says church leaders must be gentle as they correct sinning Christians. We confront sin, we love peace, but we are gentle at the same time. Christ says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit earth. And then the next thing James says is that godly wisdom is willing to yield. And this could be translated as reasonable. It, it essentially means teachable. Proverbs 1.5, a wise man will hear and will increase learning. This is the opposite of being obstinate or stubborn. Th- those who are full of pride cannot be taught anything. And those motivated by jealousy and and selfishness don't care to be corrected. They are not open to being taught. They are not teachable. They are not open to reason. But godly wisdom is humble and teachable. Like we have already heard from James, be quick to hear and slow to speak. You have to ask yourself the question, what am I characterized by? Am I simply an unteachable person? This is not the fruit of godly wisdom. And then he says it is full of mercy and good fruits. What is mercy? There are two components to mercy. First, mercy involves being willing to forgive those who have wronged us. We see this in Matthew 18 in the the parable of the unforgiving servant. If you recall the parable, there's a man who owes a massive debt. And his master comes to him and and says, pay me the debt or I'm going to put you in prison. And he pleads for mercy and, and his master forgives him the debt. And this forgiven man walks away, finds his servant chokes him, says, pay me everything you know, or I'm throwing you in prison. Pay me everything. Pay me the full debt. Or you go to prison. And some other people saw this and, and they 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 knew he had been shown mercy but but did not show mercy to his servant. So they went and told his master and then we read that his master summoned him and In other words, as James told us in chapter 2, verse 13, judgment is without mercy to him who shows no mercy. Dear friends, are we full of mercy? Do we stand ready to forgive for any and every offense? Or are we experts at holding grudges? But there's another element of mercy. And that is helping those in need. We see this in the parable of the Good Samaritan that we read this morning. A man is robbed, he's beaten, he's stripped, he's left half dead. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an end, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. And what is this called? What did this man do? The question was asked. Which of these, do you think, was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And what is the answer? The one who has shown mercy. What this Good Samaritan did was show mercy. So, in other words, James 1:27. What we're told is pure and undefiled religion, that which cares for orphans and widows. We are to be merciful, which means to, to show compassion, to, to help those in need, even the most desolate in society who could not repay us ever. As Christ says, Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And once again, contrast this with with jealousy and self-seeking. The one who is driven and motivated by jealousy and selfishness does not readily forgive others. Just think about it. You're jealous of someone. You have bitter jealousy against them. You want what they have and they offend you. Do you stand ready to forgive? No. If you are jealous, if you are envious, you will not forgive a person. And if you are self-seeking, are you merciful in the sense of providing for the needs of others? Absolutely not. The self-seeking person says, you should have earned your keep. You did something dumb in your life to get yourself in a situation, and I am not going to bail you out. You you should have planned for this better. The self-seeking person says, it's about me. I, I need to gain everything that I can. I don't have time to help others. This is a clear contrast. You are either merciful or you are either self-seeking or bitterly jealous. These two things do not go together. It is one or the other. And James says that wisdom from above is not only full of mercy, but it is also full of good fruits. And This is more of a, a generalized term for, for good works. He, he has mentioned a few things in particular, but, but now he's just covering everything else. It's full of good fruits. We can read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, this, this love and joy and peace and, and patience and long-suffering and gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, meekness. It's just full of good works. Good fruit. This is godly wisdom. And then he adds without partiality. And we covered partiality in detail in in chapter 2. Godly wisdom is not partial. Godly wisdom does not discriminate based upon external factors. Showing mercy to the rich, but not to the poor. Godly godly wisdom does not look at a person and say, I will help you because you are white. And it also does not look at a person and say, I will help you because you are black. With godly wisdom, the, the skin color does not matter. Godly wisdom does not look at a person and say, I'm going to help you because you can repay me. You are a rich person. It looks at the poor person and it looks at the rich person and it treats them the same. It is absolutely impartial. And it is also without hypocrisy. Christ condemned the Pharisees for being hypocrites. Whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but vile and disgusting on the inside. Again, pure and undefiled religion, according to James, has, has two elements. It has good works, caring for orphans and widows, but it also has holiness, keeping oneself unspotted from the world. He says in chapter 1, verse 27, our actions and motives must both be pure and right. We must be sincere. This is true godly wisdom. Not immoral people with a lot of theoretical knowledge, with a lot of theological knowledge, but people who are sincere. Not just people who appear to be righteous before men like the Pharisees, but people who are righteous and private. And what does such godly wisdom lead to? What, what is the fruit of this? Verse 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And this is another verse that's a bit difficult to translate. But what he's saying here is that the fruit is righteousness. And this righteousness... Leads to peace. MacArthur notes that that there's a relationship here between godly wisdom, genuine righteousness, and peace. And so once again, the distinction is clear. Demonic wisdom is, is motivated by bitter jealousy and selfishness and it produces nothing but confusion, disorder, and all types of evil. But godly wisdom has pure motivation. And instead of being self-seeking, it is peace-loving, and it is gentle, it is teachable, it is merciful. It is known by all the good fruit it, it produces and it leads to peace instead of confusion and disorder. It leads to righteousness. All the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. Instead of every kind of sin, And evil. And so we can ask ourselves, just just look around. We we know in our culture which one of these wisdoms is prevalent. One of them leads to peace, the other leads to confusion. One of them leads to an abundance of, of good fruit, the other one leads to every kind of evil. And so, again, this is a cause for us to examine the fruit of our lives. And we ask ourselves the question, we say that we're wise, but, but what type of wisdom do we have? What is our wisdom characterized by? What type of fruit are we producing? And we must understand that this comes only from God and only Through Christ. This is a a divine wisdom that is not imparted to the unbeliever. This is a a wisdom that only comes after salvation. If, If we could perfect this on our own, we would not need Christ. But even in looking at this, this is, again, it's a reality. This is something that we should be doing. This is not just to show us our need for a Savior, although it should show us our need for a Savior. So we should look at this and say, I need Christ because a lot of the fruit in my life represents demonic wisdom and not godly wisdom. But you know what? I've never earned my salvation. And I can't start now. But I have the righteousness of Christ imputed to me. So that yes, though I have failed, I stand before God not on the basis of my perfection, but the perfection of Christ, righteousness. But at the same time, James is writing this to believers and saying this is what should be the case. So in other words, we can't blame our imperfections. We can't say, well, I'm just human. This is why I show demonic wisdom. This is why I keep falling short. This is an actual standard. James is saying That if you have the wisdom that comes from God, this is what it will do. This is what it will be characterized by. This is the fruit it will produce. So that this is a way for us to examine our hearts. Dear friends, if you have never exhibited this type of wisdom in your life that leads to gentleness, meekness, being peace-loving and leads to all type of good fruits and mercy, if you have never had that in your life, it is an indication that perhaps your heart was never changed. And what you need to do, dear friend, is to submit yourself to Christ. You need to return from your sins and you need to trust in Christ for salvation and He will impart this wisdom to you. But what about the believer? Who has assurance of salvation, but who struggles in this? How do we obtain more godly wisdom that will manifest itself in these, these ways that, that James has shown us? Go back to James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him? What an amazing promise he says, "This is what godly wisdom looks like, and perhaps you you struggle because you know you, you don 't always show that, and you need more of that wisdom that, that leads to you." Producing that type of fruit, he says, Go to God. He gives to you liberally. You ask him for a little, and he'll give you an abundance. He gives liberally. He's not stingy with his wisdom, and he gives without reproach. This means you can go to him over and over and over again, and he doesn't reproach you for it. You go and ask a human for the same thing twice, and you're done. Didn't didn't you just ask me for this? You didn't didn't learn your lesson yet? But God gives without reproach. He says, go to God. He won't reproach you for, for asking him again and again. And he will give it. He says it will be given to him this is a promise that if you, if you beg God for wisdom, He will give it. Let us be people, dear friends, who understand our need to, to show the, the, the fruit of, of godly wisdom. And let us be people who, who desire and, and, and prize godly wisdom above silver and gold and, and every other thing like the Proverbs tell us. And let us be a people who never stop going to God for for more wisdom. But let us also be a people who are not looking to the perfection of our wisdom and fruit and trusting in that for salvation because even on our best day, I've said this many times, but even on our best day of exhibiting godly wisdom, we are saved on the basis of Christ and Christ alone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we can call you Father as we've seen this morning, as we consider the doctrine of adoption. And we thank you that you tell us that we can come to you for, for wisdom and you will give it. And we, we put these two doctrines together and we, we say that we can come to you as a Father calling you Abba Father, asking you, begging you for wisdom in our lives. Father, help us to be people who desire godly wisdom. Help us to see the fruit in our own hearts and to have the wisdom to, to judge that fruit and say, is this the characteristics of godly fruit are are demonic fruit. That you would cause us to be a people who who repent constantly. And Father, if there be any in here who don't know you, we ask that they would turn to you for salvation this very day. That they would see that the the fruit they have produced in their lives is not godly. Godly. That you would show them that they are driven and motivated by self-seeking and jealousy. Not by purity, not by sincerity of heart. And that in seeing these things, they would understand their state before you. And that this would cause them to turn from their sins, to flee from the wrath to come, and to trust in Jesus for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.